This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you. And treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie. Hey, Caitlin. It's me, Magical Caitlin. And <laughs> okay. I've decided. To give up podcasting and go back to my roots, which Mm -hmm. is dancing. Mm -hmm. And I want to join you on the little road trip you're taking to the stripper convention. And we're going to do a show together. Okay. Well, well, I don't know. It's not that simple. I think that you have to let me punch you in the stomach before (laughs) we can really... We got to resolve this. We have, we have we're, we're in masculine crisis, and I would just feel better if I could physically attack you. Okay, go. Is for that it. cool? Yeah, that's cool. That's just Florida rules, baby. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah, that's a Florida. That's a masculine Florida greeting. Mm-hmm. Um, welcome to the Bexel Cast. Uh, my name is uh, Magical Jamie, mm-hmm. and I'm Magical Caitlin, and this is our magical show in which. We examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test as a jumping off point to initiate a larger conversation. That's true. What's the Bechtel test? to tell you what it is? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Well, a Bechtel test, a Bechtel test, (laughs) and the is, I guess that that's true because there's a bunch of different kinds. It's Mm. a uh, media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. A lot of versions of the test. It was originally created as a one-off bit in Alison Bechtel's amazing comic strip Dykes to Watch Out For, Mm -hmm. highly recommend. And uh, now it's sort of used as a way of uh, telling if there's uh, more than one woman in in the movie. So here's Mm. the version of the test we use. Um, Our test requires that there be two characters with names of a marginalized gender talking to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue or more. Should be, you know, meaningful dialogue. Make of that what you will. Mm -hmm. A lot of movies pass. A lot of movies don't. True. But today... 
you know, today's a magical episode. I feel I feel good about today. Oh my gosh. I same. Ugh. I kind of always forget because we've covered the original. Uh, we've covered Magical Michael. As a live show. As a live show. In which and I now, danced on top of you. I was wondering if you would bring that up because I've been thinking about it all day. <laughs> <laughs> it's been on my mind. Oh. And now we're covering Magical Michael Extra Extra Large. Mm-hmm. And I just forgot what a, what a good mood I'm in when I'm watching these doofuses gyrate and learn a little lesson about life tell me about it i just love it and we have an amazing (laughs) guest to discuss magical michael extra extra large 2015 with us today we certainly do she's a super producer at iheart works on the daily zeitgeist and las culturistas it's becca ramos hello hello oh my god you guys i I'm so stoked to be here, first of Mm -hmm. all, because this is a little, little dream. If I can indulge you in a little story of my history with the Bechdel cast, the show. Oh, my gosh. This is probably one of the podcasts I've listened to the longest. Like, I've been a Bechdel head probably since you guys started. (gasps) And I actually went to you. You're the only podcast I've paid to see live. I've paid to see y'all in Portland. And I went to the New York show, the last one y'all did before COVID. I had just moved to New York and I was like, oh man, I don't know anybody here and I don't have any plans tonight and I'm feeling really lonely and really sad and I just like was looking at things to do in New York and I was like, oh my God, the Bechdel cast is doing a live show. (laughs) So I just bought a ticket and I like went after work and (laughs) did not prep. And yeah, so I've been a listener. I'm wearing a Bechtel shirt because my sweet, sweet partner was like, I want to take you to go see the Bechtel cast live in LA for Christmas. But then, you know, we unfortunately couldn't make the trip. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I just want to give y'all a little fangirl moment of mine to be here. I am gushing. (laughs) That's so nice. Oh my gosh, we're so happy to have you. This is so exciting. Yes, I'm so excited. I don't even remember what the show was in Portland, but I do remember going by myself because I was like, no one listens to my podcast. So I'm going to go by myself. And I took myself on a little date, took myself to dinner, went to go see the Bechdel cast. And then I was like, this is too stressful. There's too many people here after the end of the show, you know? (laughs) So I just left. And I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. Enjoyed my little two hours. I'm excited to come back to New York so we can actually like see you at some point. Yes. I think that that Portland show, Caitlin, would it have been Fight Fight Club? Club. Was that what we did? Yes, it was Fight Club. And I had never seen Fight Club. I didn't even see it for the show. (laughs) I was just like, I just want to go see the Bechdel cast. (laughs) I think that we were still like learning. That was such a fun episode. And also, I think after that one, we were like, oh, we shouldn't choose like really complicated Mm -hmm. (laughs) movies for live shows shows. but it was so much fun oh and that theater is so cool here anyways yeah that theater is really fun yeah I love that theater in in Portland and at the time of this episode's release we will have just done a few shows there so with Sarah Marshall and now we can say Robert Evans um Mm. which will be a fun little treat I can't wait to get that man in a Hannah Montana wig it's just gonna feel good (laughs) um oh my gosh well we're so happy to have you here we didn't know that that's so cool we're so happy to have you yes yeah, so exciting we're talking about magical michael xxl what's your what's your relationship your your history with the movie so the first movie came out like og magic mike when i was a senior in high school so i was probably mm. freshly 17 and i feel like i saw it with some girlfriends like some high school friends but as i was telling caitlin off pod I 
revisited this movie after I had watched XXL for this. I was like, okay, well, let me just like watch Magic Mike to see if there's any like true connection. I know it's technically a sequel, but I don't remember there being a lot of like through. Mm -hmm. And so I watched Magic Mike after I watched Magic Mike XXL. And I was like, I don't know if I've ever seen this movie. I was like, I I know a lot about it. I remember certain bits and pieces, but there was a lot of moments I was like, I don't remember this at all. But then to say my history of Magic My XXL, it came out summer 2015. So I was a sophomore going to my junior year of college. And I distinctly remember seeing it with some sorority sisters like that summer. It was like a raunchy, you know, like my first real summer, like as a young adult on my own. Like I was yeah. living in Waco, which is where I went to school. Yuck. Uh, <laughs> for the summer, you know, I was like interning. I was working like three jobs so I could pay my rent. I was like... I'm having a fun working girl summer. Um, and then I've probably watched it a few times since because it's it's a romp. It's fun. Oh, it 10 really out of 10 is. on the rompometer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so it, it, it really is like because we're going to release this episode like to line up with the third movie's release. And it does mm-hmm. seem like kind of like almost an anthology series yeah, movie. Exactly. Like, they're all kind of a different genre. Like this next one. I kind of love it where it's like this next one takes place in London and it seems yep. like Magic Mike is the only continuous Through character, character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and I have no problem with it I don't know I was like okay there's <laughs> the Magical Michael movie it's like Glass Onion and like what was the Knives one before it? yeah Knives Out you know like very like you have one character and then you're just mm-hmm. kind of forming new adventures with you know a new cast each time which mm-hmm. I have no problem with that yeah <laughs> I like it yeah I was like it, it's cool and and this is the this is the buddy road trip version of that movie and I loved it wait so Jamie what's your history with the movie I hadn't seen it no I I was um I was not tapped into the magical Michael cinematic universe before we <laughs> covered it last year mm-hmm. and then I knew we would cover the second one so I sort of I was very tempted to watch it but un- I mean fortunately slash unfortunately I would have had to rent it. And when I was introduced with a $3 stumbling block, I was like, well, all right, I'll just wait. Uh, <laughs> so I did just wait. And I wasn't disappointed. I had, oh, I mean, it's like, I enjoyed this movie a lot in a lot of the same ways that I enjoyed the first one. And then also in a lot of different ways. I, I thought it was like mm-hmm. a cool kind of building out and like sort of course correcting some of the stuff about the first movie that we weren't so yeah. wild yeah. about. You know, not a perfect, but it, it, it's just like, it's such a good romp movie. It made mm. me feel so good. It's like two hours of like fun foreplay. Like it's just yeah. like, <laughs> it's all foreplay. Yeah. Um, the Donald Glover character. Oh my God. I was just like, oh my, he was I like, God, he foreplay was the man. <laughs> no, wild. y'all. When I watched this, I was like, I forgot how many people were in this movie. I yeah. forgot that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I vaguely remember Jada Pinkett Smith in this movie. Elizabeth Banks in this movie. Donald Glover's in this movie. Mm-hmm. I forgot Eric Delco yes. of CSI Miami fame. Michael Strahan. Like- <laughs> Michael Strahan. Twitch, rest in peace. Yes. But so many people are in this movie. Mm-hmm. Wild. Yeah, I was really, it seems like um, Steven Soderbergh called in every favor that he had for this, (laughs) for this one. And it was like, I mean, it were, I don't know. I thought it was so fun. Yeah, they were like, we must trade up for Matthew McConaughey, you know? And thank goodness. (laughs) Like they were like, get rid of one, gain eight. 
Yeah. And it's like, you can't really do much better than Jada Pinkett Smith. Like, I kind of, I I think that this movie did, like, an amazing thing, which is, because it is, like, Dallas is, like, a very iconic character. Mm-hmm. But I totally forgot about him by, yeah. like... You didn't need him at all Yeah, in this mm-hmm. movie. And the kid who was, like... I mean, God bless him. But like that kid, Alex Pettifer, they were just trying to make him happen over and over and over. And yes. it just wasn't happening. And they're like, right, we got to get him out of here. And so what's his face uh, who did Elvis? I feel like they were like coming up at the same yes. time. And Austin like he Butler. became Austin Butler, you know, surpass Alex mm. Pettifer. They are kind of the same man in a way. <laughs> I for the longest time, I only knew Austin Butler as... Um, Vanessa Hudgens' boyfriend. His boyfriend, yes. Right. And that's as you should know him. I hope that if he, he will not win an Oscar. I mean, and I hope, you know. I hope not. I guess maybe I'm saying I hope he doesn't. It doesn't feel earned. Doesn't. You know, he, he he can do other stuff and, and maybe win for that. But um, but not this. Not but this. Uh, it would be fun if they brought him to the stage as Vanessa Hudgens' boyfriend. Because that <laughs> is still his most iconic role. <laughs> Well, Caitlin, what's your history with Magic Mike XXL? I gotta know. Well, I will tell you, I saw it shortly after it came out. I think just once or twice. Mm -hmm. I very distinctly remember a few different scenes in it, such as the scene where Channing Tatum parkours all over his workshop and then has sex with his workbench. Really good. I distinctly remember the scene where he goes to Jada Pinkett Smith's character's mansion place and magical michael dances all over the place there i distinctly remember the scene where he goes to andy mcdowell's house yeah and everyone just like talks about their sex lives so there were a few scenes that i that were kind of just like seared into my memory but i hadn't seen it in several years And it was a joy to revisit. It's really so. I mean, Matt Bomer really is it Bomer or Bomber? Is it? Like, oh, I don't oh, know. Could not say. Like, he stole that scene for me where he remembered the lesson that Donald Glover taught him. And <laughs> mm, then he sang his beautiful song. And oh, there's so many parts of this movie, though, where you're. I mean, I don't know. It's complicated, but also, like, every time I had a complicated thought, I was like, I, I kind of like was banishing it from my mind because I was just like, I just want to enjoy this. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a challenging Vectal cast watch because I didn't want to think too hard about anything. Oh, yeah. you. It's like after watching the first one, after I watched this one, you can see where they try to correct some of the issues they may have made in the first one, but they were still like of the time it being 2015, not quite sure. correct. So. Right, and I guess we'll talk about them. Ugh, that's our job. I guess we gotta get into but. it. Every yeah, every time we make a criticism, we're also allowed to be like, "But that said, I was very horny." <laughs> <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, exactly. Okay, shall I do the recap of the movie? Yes, let's, let's get horny. Let's, let's do this. Get horny. Yes, feel free to sound and oh my gosh. Wait, this is a, another uh, problematic fave of ours, James Cameron. Did Caitlin, I sent this story to you. I know I did. Mm. Where <laughs> James Cameron said that he is so locked in when he's filming Avatar movies that someone needs to sound an awooga sound. Oh, yes. If oh, they want no. his attention on set. Mm-hmm. And I would just like to bring that energy to this episode for any part that made you specifically like... <laughs> <laughs> 
horny, if you're willing to disclose, feel free to sound the awooga. Just go and everyone will know. James Cameron might show up you. at your house, but that could be interesting. You know, <laughs> he really responds to the awooga. He really does. Um, okay, wait. Let's take a break real quick, and then we will come back for the recap. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station. With cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Okay, so here here we go. Awugas and all. Mm-hmm. We see Mike, aka Magic Mike, aka Magical Michael. That's mm-hmm. Channing Tatum, famously. Mm. It has been three years, I believe, yeah. since he left stripping. He is now running his own furniture company where he designs and builds furniture and delivers it to his clients. He then gets a call from... Tarzan. Which, wait, mm. did we notice that the apartment 
is the same apartment from the first movie, like Brooke's apartment from the first movie. Doesn't it look very similar? Whoa. No, I didn't rewatch the first one. Wait. Okay. See, I did rewatch the first one. So I do think they are using her apartment from the first movie. Hmm. Okay. Do you think that he got her apartment in the breakup? Well, maybe she moved on to bigger and better things. Mm. What was sad, though, because I felt like his apartment was really nice, except for obviously in the first movie getting destroyed by those, you trashed. know, drug yeah. lords. But mm-hmm. he had a, a very nice apartment. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even he put did. that together. Hmm. He had a great apartment to hold that ugly ass furniture he made. It, I will say, <laughs> between the, the first and second movie, he appears to have gotten better at furniture. Making furniture. He yeah. makes mm-hmm. more wood base pieces now yes you know? less and not trash, trash that food. washed up on the beach yeah not <laughs> beach um. trash I, oh man <laughs> bless his heart he got better he got better at mm-hmm. it with three years of practice <laughs> it's, it's that malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours thing really a play <laughs> yeah um, feminist icon <laughs> malcolm gladwell <laughs> okay so um tarzan calls because him and the other guys from the first movie are coming up through Tampa and he also has some bad news which is that Dallas the Matthew McConaughey character died so Mike goes to the wake but it turns out to be a pool party because Dallas did not actually die but he did bail on them he took the kid aka Adam aka Magical Michael Jr. from the first movie <laughs> and they started a show overseas. Okay, not Austin Butler. <laughs> right. It goes on. Mhm. So, um Tarzan, uh played by Kevin Nash, Ken, Matt Bomer, Big Dick Richie, uh played by <laughs> Joe Manganiello, yeah. Tito played by Adam Rodriguez and their MC Tobias Gabriel Iglesias. They are all on their way to Myrtle Beach for a stripping convention. And Mike is like, that's cool. Have fun. Mm. And then Mike goes home. He works on his furniture in his workshop. This is when we get the scene where Pony by Genuine comes on Spotify. Immediately horny. Yeah. A wooga, a wooga, a wooga. <laughs> Channing Tate, like, he's a star. He's just simply a star. Yes. Ooh. That is exactly how I felt, Jamie, when like that moment happened. I was like, this is why we come to the movies, you know? Like, I was like, he is a star. The movie was feeling like a movie. It yeah. was a lot. We come to this place for magic. We come to this place for magic Mike. We come to this place for magical Michael. The The movie felt like a movie hardcore. I like couldn't. I watched that scene probably three times. It took me a long oh, time. Oh, yeah. To watch this movie because I kept rewatching. Same. Because <laughs> oh. you just see, like, he's resisting it. He's making mm-hmm. choices. And then he's laughing. Yeah. He's like, oh, I remember. He's oh. like, I'm dancing like no one's watching. <laughs> <laughs> I love but it. But we are watching and we're loving it. He Channing Tatum seems like, I mean, by all accounts, hopefully when you listen to this, this is still true. He seems like a terrific person. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, well, he's not canceled by then, but you know, Zoe Kravitz <gasps> loves him so much. Uh, Come on. Uh, okay, great. So, great. dancing around his workshop and fucking his workbench inspires him to join his friends and go to the convention. So they all load into Tito's Froyo food truck and start their road trip. 
They make a stop in Jacksonville at a nightclub called Mad Mary's, where there is this drag show slash competition happening. And Mike and the other guys get on stage and compete in it. Although no one is in drag for some reason, except for like the host of the show. Right. I was like, there is one person in drag. Yeah. Confusing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Then there's a nighttime beach hang scene (laughs) where the guys are talking about their current work situations and their dream jobs. A few of them air some grievances with each other and they're just like having a heart to heart. Then Mike meets a woman whose name we will eventually learn to be Zoe. Pretty far into the movie, to be honest. Yeah. I think it's like literally the last 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) I do wonder how like deep into the writing process Zoe's character was added. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's like... I didn't hate that she was there, but it just felt like she felt kind of shoehorned into every scenario she appeared in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She definitely didn't need to be there. I guess. Yeah. It's again, it's like, I'm not mad about it, but it's like, I felt like she, like there, there were more interesting women in the narrative that you could have like zoned in on, but yeah, mm-hmm. whatever is fine. Whatever. Um, Zoe played by Amber Heard is a photographer. She and Mike flirt a little bit. It seems like she wants to smooch on him, but he's like, I shouldn't. And he wishes her a good night. The next morning, the guys are back on the road again. Mike suggests they shake up their routine at the convention. But the guys are like, oh, no, we only have two days. We got to do what we rehearsed. And, Mike and they're is also like, like, Mike, you've been gone for three years. Like, <laughs> slow your roll. Yeah. But Which is fair. Even so, Mike is like, no, let's do my idea. And he's like, all the songs and the dances are things that Dallas decided for you. We have to do stuff that comes from us, that comes from the heart. And so he helps Big Dick Richie come up with a new route, a new routine. Mm-hmm. And part of that process is Richie going into a convenience store, doing a horny dance for the like grumpy cashier lady to a Backstreet Boy song. And he successfully gets her to smile. And the guys are like, woohoo. Well, that was the bet. Yeah. yeah. He had to make the cashier smile to mm-hmm. agree to change their routines. Yes. So There's a lot of scenes in this movie that you're like, yeah, this scene could have gone a lot of different ways. Good thing it went the way it went. Uh, <laughs> right. But I, 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 I know that the writer of this movie, uh, Reed Carolyn, he's a white guy who went to Harvard. Like, he's not... <laughs> um, much outside of like what you would kind of expect from someone who is successful in Hollywood but he and um Channing Tatum collaborate a lot and I was I'm curious I couldn't figure out where he's from originally because there's so much like solid Florida man lore in this (laughs) franchise where they were like debating Mm -hmm. about the Backstreet Boys and like which member left and which and it's and they were like yeah that's the greatest thing to come out of Orlando and as a Backstreet Boys head Mm-hmm. even though they are thoroughly canceled and with good reason. Mm-hmm. But these are facts that I have locked into my mind forever. I was like, yeah, Kevin Richardson did leave and then come back. And that was historically <laughs> significant. And why don't we talk about that? Wow. Kevin Richardson, not canceled. Brian and Nick, 
canceled and rightfully so. The other mm-hmm. three neutral zone. We can keep them. As far as we know. As far as we yeah, so far. At the time <laughs> of recording, <laughs> we can keep them. <laughs> so okay, so yeah, we see the scene where Big Dick Richie gets the woman to smile. And you know who else was smiling during that scene? Me. <laughs> he brought I couldn't help it. All of us. How Big Dick Richie got his groove back. Like it was really beautiful. <laughs> And he he brought a bag of Cheetos into the mix, and yes, it's hard. It's hard to not love it, even when you're like, "Is this okay? Is this okay <laughs> right. to do?" The guy slamming on the window. Why was the woman not frightened? Who knows? But it was very mm. adorable. Fluffy is like fucking <laughs> about to break the pane of glass yeah. with enthusiasm and love for his friend. <laughs> it's it's complicated. And then I was like, Jamie, stop thinking. And I was like, wait, no, that's your job. Stop thinking and start (laughs) feeling. (sighs) Okay, so back on the truck, they take Molly and they're like, oh, man, I love you so much. I've missed you, Magical Michael. We're in harmony right now. And they love each other so much that they crash the truck and Tobias gets a concussion. So now they don't have transportation costumes because they threw them out the window or their MC because he is, is injured. <laughs> and the convention is in two days. What are they going to do? Big Dick Richie is like, oh, the trip is over. Let's just give up. But then Mike reveals that he and Brooke had broken up because she said no when he proposed. And he's like, look, my life is in shambles. And that's the real reason I'm on this trip. I'm trying to move on. So we can't give up now. And they're like, okay, let's do it. And it never comes up again, which I kind of <laughs> was like. <laughs> he's like, remember that girl from the first movie? And I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't really oh, like yeah. her very much. And he's like, well, she broke my heart. Anyways. Then we have to do this. Yeah. And then they bail on Fluffy 100%. They're like, goodbye, Fluffy. They just leave Looks him at like the you hospital. Gotta, did they leave him at the hospital? I'm like, how did I he think- get home? <laughs> Do you take the well, greyhound with a concussion? Like, what I think they do? circle back around because at this point they're in outside of Jacksonville. Outside, yeah. Because they're going to Charleston. Mm-hmm. So, or no, they're going to is Myrtle Beach near Charleston? Are they in the same place? I don't no. know enough geography. They they have to go to Savannah first. Yes. So yes, they do got to go to Georgia first. So that's what happens next. Florida Georgia line. The, uh, yeah. Hello. It's true. Wow. So they go to Savannah where Mike knows another MC because they need a, an MC and he knows someone named Rome who turns out to be Jada Pickensmith and she has this house where women come and watch various male strip shows or just kind of like male entertainer acts in different rooms we see a few of these different acts including those of Augustus aka Michael Strahan uh. As well as Andre, played by Donald Glover. Uh, and Twitch. And Twitch. And, and Twitch. Don't forget Twitch. Wait, um, who's so you think Twitch? you can dance? He was from So you think you can dance, right? Yes. Yes. He is Jada Pickett Smith's Rome's like assistant guy. But then like mm. when they bring when when Rome and Magic Michael come downstairs, uh, they have like a dance battle almost, right? Like yeah. the the main guy dancing against Magic Michael is Twitch. Right, he plays a character named Malik. Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's Malik. Got it. Twitch was so iconic and lovely, and he he passed last year. Yeah. I man, I I like 
grew up watching So You Think You Can Dance one time. Same. Really? really? Oh, my gosh. My yes. senior year. I was a dancer for many years. Wait, <gasps> me too. Yeah. Well, oh, my gosh. Should we start a dance troupe together? I can't dance, <laughs> but I'll learn. My sophomore year of high school, I, like, went to see So You Think You Can Dance live, and Twitch was there, and my friends and I were like, ah! like, it was oh just so <laughs> thrilling and what a loss. What an icon. I didn't know he was wow. in this movie and I was so I didn't either. I was, was frantically like, Googling. I was like, is that Twitch? <gasps> what a legend. Wow. Beautiful. Okay, so we see these different acts throughout the night. And then Mike mentions the convention to Rome. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, you want a favor from me, even though you walked out on me eight years ago? Mm-hmm. Because apparently he used to dance for her. So she's kind of like upset with him that he just like comes like waltzing back in, wanting this favor. And she's like, you have to redeem yourself. And he does so by doing a very horny dance. Awooga. Awooga. Holy moly. <laughs> that dance was so good. <laughs> mm. I had so many questions about like, I mean, we can get to this in the discussion. I had so many questions about like, and I was like, I'm probably deeply naive. And I was looking for like answers to this question. Wasn't able to find them. I'm like, what are like the rules of consent that happen when you enter this mm. place? Because you probably sign a waiver, I would assume. And you're assu- like, and I'm assuming because Magical Michael worked there, he would know the rules. Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. I'm assuming he's not doing anything that is like out of pocket or bad but but i was just like what do you agree to it really seems like you're yeah. getting flipped and dipped around what if there's an injury is there like yeah. a medic i was just injury like also like <laughs> about everybody your personal space is at risk of being invaded which it seems as though if you go to an event place, or show like, like this <laughs> you just basically agree to consent to whatever i don't know how ethical that actually is i don't know if it happened i mean it's like i'm sure that like i i mean i'm not sure do places like that exist right i I, (laughs) I don't know why i I said i'm sure no it feels like if you sit in the splash zone at SeaWorld, you understand there's <laughs> risk. You you know what was going to happen probably. Perfect and I analogy. feel like you just have to go in with the same <laughs> mindset if you're going to a show like this. Yes. And everyone is, I mean, canonically, everyone is uh, fucking thrilled yes. about yes. everything that happens all night long. There's no, I, I saw not a, a twitch of an eye of uh, no. someone who was like, I don't know if I'm okay with this. Everyone was very okay with it. But I was just like, I mean, honestly, I just had questions because I'm like, do places like this exist? And could, could yeah, I like, go? Where can I go? Can we go? <laughs> could I go? I would love yeah. Michael Strahan and Channing Tatum to um, ruin my life. So My favorite part was when he put his hand on both of their backs and he was doing the like side <sighs> like Humped? swivels around and like yes like humps them both from behind yes. it, uh, again a wooga but i was worried about the like the two the two women who like yeah when he did that but then he put another woman on top of one of the women i'm like we yes. don't know about her back what if she had scoliosis like yeah. we don't know how secure as a, as a scoliosis head i was like that would have that i would have collapsed would have broke me <laughs> it would have broken me i would have you know i would have died doing what i loved but um <laughs> but i but i would have died <laughs> yeah i simply don't know it's a fantasy movie whatever <laughs> right 
Okay, so at the end of the night, Mike and the other guys say goodbye to Rome. And then Andre, Donald Glover, takes them to Charleston, where they go to the house of this woman, Megan, who Tito had hooked up with maybe like the night before at that like beach hang. Yeah. But they first run into Megan's mom, Nancy, aka Andy McDowell, and her friends. And I didn't realize this until my second watch of the movie to fully register what happened here because I was like wait whose house are they going to and how do they know her and who is Andy McDowell in relation to any of these people and then I realized that so Megan is this woman who they met maybe one or two days before they barely know her she was like come through to my house in Charleston they just show up and go inside of the house. They don't that even was like crazy. knock. They didn't knock. <laughs> they did they not just walked knock. in. They just marched right in. But honestly, the fact that the door was unlocked was very southern of them. Mm. Like that does not shock me. <laughs> that is very as someone from the south. I was like, yeah, I guess that's that's accurate. Yeah, and then is this a southern thing where the <laughs> owner of the house sees like five strange men? in her foyer and is like oh hey come on in have a drink honestly it is that is some (laughs) southern hospitality i was like honestly that whole scene was not that crazy to me because i'm like rich lonely old women from the south they want they see hot men first they didn't see like you know Mm. most of them are white you know what i'm saying so it's like they were not threatened they were like oh look at these charming young men they look like strippers and if they're still in georgia i'm sure they're like understand that there is a lot of because from my understanding there are a lot of strip clubs in georgia so yeah i think that is like it's like atlanta and portland i think have the highest strip clubs portland has so many strip clubs Mm -hmm. yeah i've been to quite a few of them Um, oh yeah and i went to one once we went to an eggs and legs situation in portland a couple Mm. years ago we should Mm -hmm. go back we should um, go back. A fan of the show hooked us up. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. It was a blast. <laughs> we had eggs. We had legs. Mm-hmm. I was curious about that because it was like the way that Andy McDowell's character reacted made it seem like her daughter brought home tr- like men all the time. Really yeah. hot <laughs> troops of men constantly. She's like, who is this? Oh, my daughter. Okay. That makes sense. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Chill mom. <laughs> right. She's a cool mom. She's a cool (laughs) mom. So they start chatting with Nancy and then Megan and her friends come into the room. And one of them is Zoe. Mm -hmm. So all of the guys are talking to all the women. They're asking about their like fantasies and their sex lives and all this stuff. In another room, Mike and Zoe are chatting some more. Uh, Later that night, Big Dick Richie ends up having sex with Nancy off screen which is a shame it's a shame yes that is a shame would have liked to see (laughs) but then the next morning they head out from charleston and arrive in myrtle beach at the convention surprise rome and andre meet them there because rome has decided to mc the show after all then they go to check in with elizabeth banks the director of cocaine bear herself I hope that that is. I, I hope that's how history remembers her. Ultimately, <laughs> yes. what a treat! That would be amazing. Yes. Um. So she's checking them in, but then we find out that these guys did not even register for the convention or book a show there. They just 
showed up thinking they were going to do a spot. To be fair, that is what they just did at Andy McDowell's house, and it worked out pretty spectacularly <laughs> for them. I'm going to say, as men, I feel like that's made sense to me. Because I'm sure if Dallas did all that booking and stuff, I'm sure they had no idea like that was something they had to do. They were just like, well, we go to this mm. thing every year, so right. like, why don't we just show up? We're going. <laughs> They're, they truly are like baby men in a yeah. lot of ways where they're like, what do you mean? We're so beautiful. Why can't we? What? And then, no one's ever said no to me before. But then I don't understand. Jada Pinkett Smith to the rescue. She And mm-hmm. I also liked that those characters were named Paris and Rome and that they were friends. You're like, yeah, it's all making oh, I sense. Did, I it's all connected. That. Wow. EGOT. EGOT, EGOT writing. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's because of Rome's clout that Elizabeth Banks is like, okay, you get this like prime spot. Then there's a montage of them prepping for the show. We see them shopping. They're making costumes. They're building sets. And then they put on a show that Rome emcees. We see solo acts from all the guys, each one relating to their passion. So Tarzan does like a painting thing. Tito does a candy thing since he's the Froyo guy. Ken sings because he is also like a musical performer and singer. Mm-hmm. Big Dick Richie does this whole like wedding slash kinky wedding night act. <laughs> and then finally, it's Magical Michael and Malik do this like mirror act. They said, Step up, here we go. The- <laughs> <laughs> and we are like a wooga. We were and like a wooga. Zoe is there with Megan and she gets brought up on stage and Mike dances all horny all over her. Then like we see a little montage of them like getting ice cream after the show and that's basically <laughs> the movie. If you're wondering if there is a conflict in this movie, there kind of is not. There is not often there's some like interpersonal tension between the characters, but it's usually pretty quickly resolved. And then there's not much in the way of conflict aside from that, which is usually not how you write a screenplay. But <laughs> this movie is great and I have no complaints. Yeah. So <laughs> that is the story. Let's take a quick break and we will come right back to discuss. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. 
That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world to bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. And we're back. Oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I guess that there isn't really much narrative. I didn't I honestly didn't notice until I was like I really thought about it because yeah. it did feel like the main tension of this movie kind of like came from both like this group of men who we knew mm-hmm. resolving their differences with each other and then like growing as people. Yeah. Whilst mm-hmm. on a road trip. Yeah. And I love I loved that. I don't know. That's all I really have to say about it. I feel like the biggest conflict was with Rome, right? Cuz it was like obviously like this like new plot point being brought up of like we have to make Chang Tatum this you know central character. Not that we didn't already make him the central character by coming back, but it felt like in the first movie you don't get anything of the other guys, right? Like, it's all about, you know, mm-hmm. Magic Michael and Little Michael and Brooke. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I feel like this was the moment to kind of bring it back to, like, what is Michael's history? He is a titular dancer. Like, who is this strife with his older host or manager? I don't know what to call her. Uh, Madam? I don't know. <laughs> like, Unclear. Don't know her job title. No. <laughs> but yeah, I feel like that's where the biggest conflict was. But obviously mm-hmm. it gets resolved by the end of the movie. And yeah, back to your point, Jamie, as far as like the movie being about men like connecting and growing together and like figuring themselves out, there aren't a lot of movies like that. And there no. aren't a lot of movies that center male friendship and male friendship in which the characters are like vulnerable with each other and they like open up to each other so there's like all these like wonderful things that you don't normally see on screen happening in this movie especially that these men are like such like expressions of like heteronormative you know like like these big buff hot like himbo men like men that you wouldn't consider vulnerable or people that would you know express themselves that way that kind of thing so traditionally yeah yeah yeah. I felt like that was like some of the most strong 
stuff in the movie was like focused on their relationships with each other because it also like didn't make it so easy for them of like oh well these are just like this is a band of emotionally intelligent like i think mostly heterosexual men as far as we know as far as we know yeah which would be you know i mean then it would truly be a fantasy movie because you're like that's just like not how heterosexual men are socialized and so Mm -hmm. you do see towards the beginning of the movie like them trying to resolve interpersonal issues with like traditional masculinity such as magical michael (laughs) starting by being like all right, we're going to do some therapy. And then he's like, punch me and make yeah. me throw up. And you're just like, all right, these guys, like, you know, you're drunk on a beach in Florida. Of course, that's how you're going to try to resolve the problem. But mm-hmm. they continue to grow. And I like that, like, every character, although, like, I mean, I, I do feel like some characters more than others, which we should talk about. But mm-hmm. they all enjoy being male entertainers. They get a lot mm-hmm. of personal satisfaction out of that it, it just mm-hmm. seems like it, it's so funny because I feel like that's part of what's so appealing about this franchise to me of like you're watching men have imposter syndrome all the time which you don't really mm. see very much of like they feel judged by the world by being strippers but also mm-hmm. they have other dreams and they want to have both of those things at the same they want to have it all which is every movie <laughs> about every woman ever and you never really see that about men because you don't really see men in professions where they are treated like meat which these yeah. men are right so it was interesting seeing like all these different characters have different you know it could be and it like it relates to their age in some ways where tarzan is like yeah you know i've I don't know, maybe, like, I don't regret my life choices, but it would have been really cool to have, like, a domestic life. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you have people that, I mean, Matt Bomer's character is like, I wish I had, you know, been a singer. And, like, you have, everyone had the thing, like, they they both love what they do and also wonder what life would have been like if they had done something else. Mm -hmm. And that's really i don't know you just don't see it a lot with with male characters specifically because men yeah usually get what they want well and them all showing envy too of uh of magic michael because he did quit and he did pursue what he wanted to do and that was part of why they were upset with him because they were like you know as much as like we're mad at you for abandoning us we're also jealous that you like found your thing and you like stuck to your guns and you made it happen Mm -hmm. so but I also so and I was worried that there was going to be because this is an issue that we had with the first movie where because so often the way sex work is presented in media, it's something that no one chooses to do yeah. and that people are trying to escape. And that might be true for some sex workers, but there are a large number of sex workers who this is their chosen profession and they're very yeah. proud to do it and they're very excited to do it. Mm-hmm. And there was discussion around the first movie where Mike quitting stripping partially, it seems because that's what his girlfriend wanted him to do. There was criticism around that. And so I was worried that like there might be some degree of that in this movie, but it seems as though all of the men who are doing this work in this movie, at least a few of them say 
if I had my dream, like Donald Glover is like, oh, if my LP dropped tomorrow and I like made it big, I would still do this on the side. Yeah. If I was, for example, Childish Gambino, no, I okay. would still do this. You're like, all right, Donald Glover as himself. He is not Donald Glover in this movie. He's Childish Gambino. Like specifically, I'm like, yeah. you are in your Childish Gambino era. Like everything about you, like the fedora, like everything mm. about yes. you is era of Childish Gambino it is not Donald Glover as he is today because like today I'm like he's not Childish Gambino he is Donald Glover now but then that is Childish Gambino that movie that's not mm. Donald Glover he's and it's like because the internet Childish Gambino too it's like yes! early Childish Gambino like absolutely I did not know he was in this movie and I was like I forgot totally, I totally agree with you you're like wow this is a very specific Donald Glover we're getting in this movie yes. two years later this Donald Glover was no longer available <laughs> he was and arguably two years later the body of that Donald Glover would have made more sense in this movie <laughs> but you know oh man I, I it was wild seeing him in this role and it but it was like, I was like he's such a baby he's a baby he, in this movie <laughs> he was still doing like Troy like he it was yeah. very right it was a different era of, of Donald yes. Glover mm-hmm. and it feels like the tail end of that era absolutely right but yeah I, I, I totally agree with you Caitlin like because that was something we talked about in our first episode was that mm-hmm. like it's made to seem like okay well he got a lot out of working as a sex worker but at the end of the day that's not quote-unquote the sensible choice mm-hmm. but I, I like that this franchise course corrects in this way where it's like well this is like a huge part of who he is and like why can't more than one like it just it sort of wants to explore like you don't need to choose one thing and like be less of a person and that seems like what most of the guys are kind of coming to terms with and struggling with in right in this movie in a way that I thought was like pretty effective and cool because you also have Tito, whose dream is to get this like artisanal froyo food truck slash dance party DJ. I love that like, all their dreams thing. are like, best of luck, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so it, he, his dream is to get that going. But he says like nothing makes me feel better than that aside from being on stage. Like he yeah. still loves right. performing. So I appreciate that you have at least a few of the characters expressing like this is not something I'm trying to escape uh this is something that like I will always do mm-hmm. yeah and so I appreciated that and and that they come to accept each other like and it totally makes sense that they have like the tension they do like I really liked the conversation between Magical Michael and sorry I'm just gonna keep calling him Matt Bomer what is that damn Ken, Ken. he's literally he's oh yeah the Ken doll, the Ken doll. right I was a little like not sure what to make of him. I mean, I, I, I really like Matt Bomer. <laughs> so I feel like maybe I was like bringing, I like Matt Bomer energy into the chat on this one, but I, I did like how they had to have conver- like a couple conversations before they had really they made it. peace because it was like, mm-hmm. Oh, that, you know, like, I think it's interesting with people of all genders when people get into, for lack of a better term, because I am pro this, I've made whole shows about it, uh, woo woo stuff. Mm. And then sort of are able to say like, well, because I am now a spiritual person, all of my past problems and trauma have been resolved Mm -hmm. via this. Mm -hmm. And that is not always, not for everyone is always necessarily true because it's like, sometimes it's like you can use a spiritual practice to avoid actually dealing with your shit. And it seems like that's kind of what Ken is doing. And I did, 
And there were moments where I felt like the movie was kind of making fun of him. Um, oh, yeah. For mm-hmm. like the Reiki stuff over Gabriel Iglesias. Like, yeah. there were moments where he's clearly being made fun of. Well, do you feel like he was queer coded in this movie? Because to me, you watch the first one and mm-hmm. none of them really have speaking roles, right? Like, you kind of like going back into it, I was watching the first one, I was like, oh, yeah, they really aren't actualized characters. They're, like, a part of a group, but you don't really learn much about them. You just know, like, Ken's wife has big tits, and, like, they like to fuck, and they do drugs, and, like, that's about it. He doesn't really say more than, like, three lines the whole movie. Mm -hmm. But this movie, as they, like, developed his character, it felt really queer-coded. And at this time, Matthew Bomber has already come out. Like, he, in the first movie, had not come out yet. He came out in, like, 2012, yeah. which is when the movie was released. So during the production of that movie, he had not come out. Right. So by this movie, he had come out. So I was like, it felt like to me by the end of the movie, they were trying to get to him having an, an arc of, you know, coming out, and then they just, like, cut it. And it felt very, like, mm. like not actualized. Or, like, I couldn't tell what they were trying to do. That's really interesting. I hadn't. I honestly hadn't thought about it that thoroughly, but I do. I, I did know that Matt Bomer came out the same year Magic Mike One was released, mm-hmm. and has been out ever since. And I don't know. We've had like had a conversation on this show many times where it's like you know it's because you're a queer actor doesn't mean you need to play queer characters. Yeah. But it did seem like at moments where it was like, what are we trying to say about this character? Yeah. And I feel like mm-hmm. it speaks to kind of like a larger point that I have with a lot of the non-magical Michael characters, which mm-hmm. I think some were better developed than others. I totally agree with you that like Ken's story is like, they're like, well, he wanted to be a singer and that's kind of where they leave it, which yeah. is bizarre given the like stuff you know about him from the first movie, which never yes. really comes back and they got rid of his wife you were like okay they broke up yeah never mentioned again yeah and in fact so there's a scene on the beach where where mike says to ken like oh are you still with mercedes and he says no and because he cites the reason being like they tried to do monogamy and that didn't work out for them so they split up and then that's what leads to Magical Michael being like, punch me in the stomach. Yes. I was like, where did this come from? Um, because suddenly, like, one of them is being passive aggressive. I didn't even notice it. I'm not quite sure. But if you consider that Mike has a love interest who is a woman, you have Big Dick Richie has sex with Andy McDowell. Tito has sex with... <laughs> Her daughter, Megan, <laughs> you have um, Tarzan saying like, oh, I would love to go home to like a wife and kids. Mm-hmm. But there's never any mention of Ken having a romantic interest who is a woman. So I think maybe based on that, there is possible queer coding, but it's not overt to me. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't clear enough that I felt like you could like... I just wonder, I was like, is there something that was like cut? I don't know. Because it is also like there is kind of a vibe of a one-to-one. And I don't even mean that as an insult to this movie. But as far as I know, the only, and maybe I'm incorrect about this. I'm not totally sure. As far as I know, the only people I knew to be openly queer who are in this movie are Matt Bomer and Amber Heard. Mm -hmm. And 
it is a one-to-one situation if we are interpreting Ken as a queer coded character where mm-hmm. Matt Bomer is an openly gay actor and Amber Heard is openly bisexual and has been for a long time and they make that canon to her character as well mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't take any issue with it was yeah. presented very matter-of-factly and she wasn't you know like bisexual characters are treated like shit or like as jokes so much and mm-hmm. she wasn't but I, I I did feel like oh yeah the only actors in this movie that I know are openly queer yeah I don't know I mean it's it's I don't know yeah I it's not even a positive or negative I'm just like 2015 yeah what was going on uh interesting to ponder Mm. i do like like you mentioned becca that each character is given more characterization in this movie which helps to again another issue we had when we discussed the first magic mike movie is that it's a movie that seems like it has the agenda to humanize sex workers or, you know, Mm -hmm. male entertainers, Mm -hmm. but it kind of doesn't do that that much because it really only focuses on two of those characters and puts the other ones kind of in the background. Yeah. This sequel doesn't do that. It gives each of the five main (laughs) magical Michaels a distinct (laughs) either like arc or goal or, just kind of more characterization in general, although to varying degrees. Yeah. I was going to say, because I feel like Adam Rodriguez's character was characterized by a large margin the least. Like Yes, it, I was going to say that. Yeah. Like the, the, the guys we learn more about, and because we do get characterization of everybody to some extent. Yeah. But like for my reading, it was like Ken, even though that was ambiguous as you were just talking about Becca, but like Ken's was more of a, I don't know. I mean, I don't really have an issue with it because some people were like a relationship thing. With Ken, it was more of a career thing. Yeah. Whatever. Mm -hmm. But Ken, Big Dick Richie, and Tarzan, I think, got the most attention. They are like three white passing men. Yeah. And then Adam Rodriguez, I thought, was given the least attention of the bunch. And then Gabriel Iglesias is like ejected out of the movie in a fucking rocket in the middle. (laughs) And and you, I mean, it's, it's not like there is... I don't know. I mean, I, I'm curious to discuss that because there was some sort of, I don't know, it, the the discourse around this movie when I was revisiting it for research was so 2015-y that I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Because it is like a pretty diverse movie. It's not yeah. like, you know, it's, who knows? Maybe Gabriel Iglesias was like, I have to go on a world tour. I can only be <laughs> on set true. for like three days or whatever. Like he's really successful. And like, it is a very diverse movie, but it's still like there are still kind of these things that feel very rooted in like, OK, like, you know, it still centers whiteness slash light skinnedness. Yes. Right. They even call out Adam Rodriguez as like their token man of color mm-hmm. in their like group. They're like, yeah, we got the got the Latino, you know, and then Adam tried to throw it back at Big Dick Richie and was like, well, you are also technically a person of color. And he's like, I'm Armenian, whatever, I'm white. Like, he literally was like, I have internalized racism and I'm white. And, Mm. you know, justice for Adam Rodriguez because I have had a crush on him for very many years and he's a beautiful (sighs) Latino man and he deserved, he was also the second best dancer in my opinion. I think he was a better dancer than Big Dick Richie. Mm. And I feel like he did not get enough dancing time. 
Yeah, he, I agree. I agree. He's wondering. And it's like also I, I, I was just like, wow, Mr. Criminal Minds, the disrespect. Like, <laughs> it's just Adam Rodriguez is an icon and they didn't give him enough to do. No, he's an amazing dancer. But I just like I feel like it really actually kind of came all the way around of like who was characterized versus who wasn't at the end because they were mm-hmm. all given big set pieces about like hey remember their arc here it is in a sexy (laughs) dance and adam rodriguez is i think was like even though he is one of the stronger dancers was one of the and who like what he does in that routine with the chocolate and the licking you're just like a wooga a wooga like i was a wooging pretty hard lick me (laughs) (laughs) i was really present in the awooga zone for that one but narratively you're it, he's just in front of like the froyo truck yeah and it's like i mm-hmm. again i and and as far as the matt bomer character i honestly don't know where to fall in terms of like how we were supposed to feel about ken it did feel like the canon from the previous movie was abandoned in a way yeah. that felt a little bizarre it was done to everybody to some extent yeah but like ken's felt especially dismissed mm-hmm. but it is like ken and tito have career-based things Mm -hmm. going but even so like ken gets a bigger spotlight on his moment in like Mm -hmm. the andy mcdowell sequence where you get to see like donald glover in his childish gambino era plants the seeds of like you know you can and a a plot point i thought was like really cool of like well you can like combine your passions in a way that is really like beautiful Mm -hmm. and like you can use your you know singing and musicality to like make women happy which is why we've been put on this earth which is kind of the theme of the movie for whatever reason and it's great but like ken gets that big moment where he uses his dream to do what he's currently doing in a way that makes him and a woman happy yeah tito doesn't really get that moment and so like when you see him dancing in front of his froyo truck it just like doesn't have the same amount of impact because he wasn't given like the same moment and focus true yeah um i was prepared to argue that tarzan was given the least amount of kind of characterization unpack maybe it's just because he's on screen the least amount of time i felt i kind of agree with you caitlin in a different way like i agree that i think characterize he is the least focused on but i feel like adams was more poignant because he is the only brown one definitely yeah Yeah. but i was noticing that there were scenes that like tarzan wasn't even in like it seems like the four younger guys would like go do something fun yeah and so i was like is this an ageist choice that's happening because tarzan is the oldest of them and Can I tell you, I mean, maybe this is like rude because I know that Kevin Nash has been in a lot of stuff. I sort of interpreted that choice of like, yeah, professional rec- wrestlers aren't always great actors. Uh, yeah. That was sort of my thing. I was like, and I don't know. Cause it absolutely could be ageism. I think I defaulted to like, not everyone's the rock. Uh, not everyone. <laughs> like, mm. But maybe that was unfair of me because the scenes that Tarzan is in. I really loved him. He's, he's doing a lovable a good character. Job. Yeah. But but if you think like he does say in that one scene that he would like trade his dick swinging lifestyle for uh, a, wife a wife and kids and, kids and people who love him. But that's the only moment that we get any indication of that. Well, especially because we didn't even know his name. Right. Like there's that moment where Magic Michael's like and uh, and he's like Ernie and he's like 
I don't know anything oh, about you. Ernest. And then there's another scene where and later kind of boos him when he <laughs> and when he says like that was I thought that that was I mean it was like both very like it felt Soderbergy where it felt very like I don't know like I lo- I love in Soderbergh movies like the way that conversations play out feel like pretty realistic and funny even when they're like not very sensitive towards everybody mm. but it didn't really come all the way back around in a way that felt sensitive to him because yeah, he no. was because he was like oh this is what I want and everyone's like bummer like, yeah they're like, <laughs> you're like oh no. he, he pours his heart out and everyone's like buzzkill alert and then they move on if there was like boo and tomato tomato <laughs> and then they move on and talk to a woman who we hadn't met before won't we won't see again so we it's, don't like, know her it's name. like tarzan's right there like but, why don't but if she doesn't go on a journey in that scene let's be honest true <laughs> i thought that scene was i was like Honestly, I mean, whatever. Like, I think it is interesting how this movie, you know, I think with varying degrees of success, but this movie does attempt and seems to have an agenda to navigate through a lot of different class systems and and races and gender and like. I feel like it tries to use the road trip movie in a in an unusual way, which is like not to make. I feel like the road trip movies that we're used to are more often used to like make a mockery of the communities they're passing through Mm -hmm. to characterize the protagonists. Whereas like this movie is trying to, again, with like varying degrees of success to like not do that, to like pass through a lot of different classes and, and, but do it in a way that like you have a moment to appreciate someone in the scene that's like specific Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of like movies like that. I I don't know. Like the Annie McDowell thing, I I was kind of all over the place on that yeah. sequence. I didn't know because it's like you don't really like want to like linger on like upper crust white ladies of the South. Mm-hmm. However, the way that they're written and characterized, I I thought in that moment especially with like a woman. I don't know. It, it just got me thinking about like the boomer women in my life mm. who like Andy McDowell's character. I thought, you know, she, she's very like cool momming it, which who knows how uh-huh. her daughter feels about that. That can <laughs> suck. But you know, she's just like, Oh, I've only ha- ever had sex with one person because that's what I was told to do. Mm-hmm. And now I'm fucking miserable i don't really know what where her husband's like i think that they're divorced maybe i don't know it seems like she kicked him out but maybe the papers aren't finalized vibes like he obviously the vibe felt like he cheated on her and then she was like wow like i've only had one dick in my life and you out here swinging it get out of my house like i'm not signing the papers yet because i want the money right now so Mm -hmm. i have the power play the house yeah she also says like we broke up because he's gay and then her daughter's like you don't know that for sure and then she like makes oh, a comment right. about oh how i she missed like, that yeah she's like well he loved it when i stuck my finger up his and, and then, then she like, was like Mom! megan's like no i don't want to hear and about then he, that and tito was like oh, it's fun, kind of fun. yeah <laughs> tito did come in and say like hey a finger up the bum what's wrong with it yeah anyway but with that, I mean, specifically with the, I, I know that she was given a name. I don't remember what it is because I hate women. But the, the character who, I just thought it was like a very vulnerable writing point for like a middle-aged woman to say like, my husband has never had sex with me with the lights on. And I don't know if that's a him thing. I don't know if that's like, but it's clear that like she's internalized it and is very insecure and is like, is something wrong with me? Yeah. And then 
I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess you can like come at this movie in so many different ways because in a way the merry troop of male strippers is characterized as like these men are coming to save you and make yeah. you feel good about yourself <laughs> again. And I think there is a way to look at that a little critically of like, I, there's a lot of movies that I think really effectively show fellow women and people of marginalized genders, like helping each other through stuff like that versus like this guy you just met making you feel good about yourself. But mm-hmm. I also think that there is like some beauty in that and some like that character seems to feel so like vindicated and comforted by the fact that it's like, mm-hmm. no, you're hot. Your husband is who knows what's going on with him <laughs> and right. you're beautiful and you're great. And like, I do think there is some value in hearing that from someone that you're attracted to in a way yeah. that can be like really impact. I don't know. I liked that scene is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because men are not conditioned to be equipped to, help really anyone with their emotional yeah issues that they're going through i would like sex workers of any gender are especially equipped to make people feel valued and attractive and and loved mm-hmm. that's like the service that yeah. sex workers often provide so even though like at large men <laughs> are conditioned in such a way to like not have those skills these particular men that's their job. That's what they're good at. So And like Donald Glover gives that great sort of like mini mm-hmm. monologue about about that of like how he and again, I do think that there's multiple ways to look at this where there is a patronizing vibe to yeah. a man saying like, we're healers, we heal women. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, sure. But like, you know, but I think in the context of the movie, it is like an attempted, very wholesome message because what the conversation is before that is like Donald Glover's character talking about how through sex work he's like realized how infrequently the women that he works with are like listened to and like Mm -hmm. cared for yeah Yeah. and he's like okay so this is something that I can provide that like unfairly the women that I meet are not given in their day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. And it is, I do think it is a little overly simplistic. And I do think it is like, if you think about it too hard, a little patronizing, but. Because it kind of makes the women seem sad. Like all of them are sad. And some of us are just horny. Some of us are like, I'm trying (laughs) to have a time. Right. Like, okay, I'm here. I'm single, you know, assumingly, right? Like it's like, I'm single, I'm having fun. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you're like a couple of my friends that love going to the strip club, and they're not single. She's like, I'm bringing my man. Like, we're having a great time. Like, we're just mm-hmm. like, we're enjoying. We're tipping the ladies. Like, there's mm-hmm. a whole spectrum available of yeah. reasons why you would like seek out entertainment like that. Yeah. That's, I guess that that's like one of the more, because this movie is written and directed by straight white guys. <laughs> yeah. Like, men. And I think, you know, the fact that like mostly straight men are involved at the highest level I'm like I don't really know how they pulled it off (laughs) but I do think that there is like there is this tendency in this franchise that is true for some women but not all and I feel like maybe that is where like the a little bit of dissonance comes in that like there is always a hundred percent a necessary emotional aspect Mm -hmm. to seeking out sex work or seeking out pleasure like you like uh there there's because of how the men in this story approach 
their work, which again, I'm like worked for me. Um, <laughs> but it just seemed like it's like a, a prerequisite that most of the women they come into contact with are not just seeking a physical experience, but seeking, seeking an, an emotional, emotional experience. Yeah. Right. Which is a bit tropey to assume that women need an emotional component to sex and pleasure because, oh, women are so emotional. Even though, of course, many women and femmes are very capable of non-emotional sexual gratification. Although, to go back to the that kind of monologue that Andre gives in the car where he's saying like, yeah, like men don't listen to women. Men never ask women what they actually want. And all we have to do is just listen to them and ask them what they want. And when they tell us that's a beautiful thing. And my initial reaction was like, it is beautiful. And oh my gosh, yes, it would be so nice to have someone listen to me and ask me what I want. But then I was like, damn, women have to pay men to listen to them. Right. <laughs> and right. that right. does... To pretend to care about them. It is, this is indicative. Not <laughs> but I'm just like, but that has so many implications too because I'm like, well, first of all, it's indicative it's of not, the way... It's like, not the individual employee's fault. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. It's also, it's just like indicative of the way men are, again, like socialized and conditioned, especially in like hetero romantic relationships where like men aren't often really taught how to like be romantic care, like yeah be romantic or just like have the emotional intelligence to like care for their partner's emotional needs like yes. just all this stuff and, and I don't want to sound like I'm I'm suggesting that it's pathetic or anything like that in any way to like pay someone no and I don't think that the movie is trying to code it that way no right, no, no uh, definitely not and yeah. so I just want to make that clear like there's there's no judgment f from us or from the movie that like anyone would pay for that type of like I don't know just like emotional care yeah that these yeah. men are often giving to women but I guess I was just reminded of the the bar is so low yes. <laughs> for male behavior where it's just like all you have to do is just like listen and then like check in with me and then it's just like oh my yeah oh, I'm coming mm -hmm. like, no literally all those women all those older women in uh South Carolina were just like gushing they were just so happy to have these young men in their home <laughs> yeah. and also like I think Caroline in Savannah like is also sort of utilized to a similar extent and it's like it sucks because in both of those sequences I was like so thrilled for them that they yeah. were like getting something that they clearly like wanted mm -hmm. but with Andre and Caroline in the Savannah sequence like he brings her up and I think that it seems like she's expecting you know, I mean, I don't know because I don't know if she's been there before, but like, yeah. you know, it seems like she's expecting kind of a traditional, very, very physical stripper experience. And then, he, yeah, like, lap dance vibe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. But then he shocks and amazes her by asking her a question about her grandma. And it's mm -hmm. like, again, that scene really works for me. I love how it plays out. And it's like the character, Caroline, is clearly like, wow, this is great. But I, I, I do Aluda. feel like. <laughs> She's a wooing hard, hard. 2015 mm. Becca was a wooing so hard. That was like my childish Gambino <laughs> obsession era, right? Like I saw that I scene mean, the first yeah. time and I was like, Ugh, you know. This time I was like, Corey. Jamie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was still kind of a, a wooing for. I loved like, it, but I like back then I was like, oh my god, I needed that. <laughs> right. And so it's like it's in a way it's like I don't know like there's a way to come at it where you're like, wow, that is something that 
most women don't even feel entitled to in their day-to-day life to the point where it's like this would be Mm -hmm. a really unusual thing to happen. And then the other way, it's like, well, you know that like guys are writing and directing this and it's like it is to some extent men writing what they think women want and then controlling mm. the behavior of the the women in the story yeah. to be like wow this is what i want and so it's like <laughs> you know yeah we it's don't a know. little yeah it i think some of those interactions would feel more authentic had there been more women behind the camera in yeah. creative i will say positions making creative choices i had way more like i watched the movie all the way through and i was like Wee, 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 wee. I love this. I'm horny. This is the best ever. And then <laughs> I, I think I forgot this between our episode on Magic Mike a year ago and now. But I was mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this was all written by a white guy who went to Harvard. Now I feel <laughs> dubious. <gross>. Like <laughs> I was tricked. I enjoy his work. I'm a fan. But you're also just like, I don't want a white guy from Harvard to tell me like what women of all generations and races and classes want. Like how? How? But you know what? Knowing that it was written by a white man from Harvard does explain why there wasn't more nudity. I mean, also, like, the rating system does. But to me, I'm like, men are so... I feel like prude for themselves, which is why the rating system is the way that it is, where it's like, we must exploit women's bodies. But like, if a dick is on screen, it's rated X, you know, (laughs) I feel like this movie Mm -hmm. was a lot of fun and it was Mm -hmm. horny in terms of the dancing. And like the storyline was, I think a little bit more horny than the last one. Cause the first one is like more gritty. You're only focusing on magic. Michael, you know, obviously magic. (laughs) Michael does his thing, but why does he, but I feel like the first one was way more nudity and like sexiness than in the second one. Like the second Mm -hmm. one is like way more about the sensuality and the people and like less bodies. Like we only see full ass at the very end. Mm -hmm. Why wasn't there more ass? Which was not a problem with the first one. We saw the first time there was a lot of ass. We even saw a little bit of Joe, whatever his last name, I can't pronounce it. It's Dick. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We sure did. And we didn't get any dick in this movie. No dick. I wondered why that was. Yeah, because it was like this movie was more focused on emotions and less focused on bodies. But I'm like, you can have both, everybody. (laughs) Come on. Let's figure it out. I'm glad there wasn't like women nude this time. Like there was in the first one. Like I feel like there was like unnecessary female nudity in the first one where you're just like, okay, I guess like we're just living in raunchy Florida and I guess that's part of it. But in the second one, I was like, okay, glad that we like course corrected that. But also you didn't have to take all the nudity out. I was like, still men stripping. I want more stripping. I had the same complaint in the first movie. Well, while we're at it, let's let's talk about the women that are in this movie because we haven't we haven't gotten to talk about them very much. Mm-hmm. I think that to start with, I mean, uh, the women that we see in the kind of peripheral of this movie, and again, this feels like a very generally positive, but also like hinged with some 2015 baggage where yeah. there is a lot of racial class and body diversity in this movie mm-hmm. on the surface but in yes. terms of who gets characterized it still skews very straight and white yes yeah. that said i was i think even for a movie that came out like right now i was kind of struck by and again maybe this just says how low the bar is um it probably does but like there is a focus on women feeling pleasure in this movie. I, this was a big mm-hmm. talking point when this movie came out. There are many, many, many like 
essays about how it's like, wow, women enjoying themselves. I'm like, yeah. oh, God, like, no. we are just like <laughs> so disserviced. Yeah. It's depressing. I'm like, but you do see like women across all these different lines enjoying themselves and being treated like people, not being like mocked or made a meal of by the camera in any way that we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. And there is like, you just see a wide variety of like people of a marginalized gender, like, having a good fucking time yeah and that's great like I really loved that mm-hmm. but then in terms of like actual women who we get to know in the story I feel like that's perhaps a bit of a different story yeah, yeah. I think especially when it comes to body diversity and body size where mm-hmm. there's not much body diversity you see on screen for the men mm-hmm. they all pretty much have a no. like quote-unquote standard yeah. male stripper body which maybe you would expect but also maybe there's a conversation to be had just on a societal level about like yeah rigid beauty standards when it comes to strippers and dancers and models and entertainers in general and I don't think that that's even completely like an accurate portrayal of like people who do sex work there are men of all body types who do sex work for sure it's just this movie focuses on guys with like pecs and six packs yeah very hollywood (laughs) right very 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 shredded read yeah Yeah. (laughs) um there is more body diversity seen in women on screen while yes there are a lot of thin women but there are people with bodies of all shapes and sizes on screen including a number of fat women however we'll get to know any of them no. are only ever like featured extras they're always in the audience yeah. of the shows we never hear from them or learn their names or hear them speak they are always like spectators paying for this like kind of idealized image of masculinity whereas like the love interest characters for the various men are all thin and attractive by western standards of beauty yes yeah absolutely i mean it's like the three I think main women we get to focus on this movie are Amber Heard, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Andy McDowell, who all have Mm -hmm. very traditionally Western beauty standards bodies. Yes. Yes. I think in particular with the Zoe character, that was like all over the place for me because she felt very studio notes to me of like, why doesn't Magic Mike have a girlfriend in this one? Because she is on the peripheral of every scene. You have to keep (laughs) cutting to her to remember that she's there. And it's like the script tries to give you, and you do get like, I almost understood why they liked each other, but they don't even like, it just felt very weird. Like, where you do get a little bit of background into who Zoe is, where she says, like, what was it? Like, I, I am a photographer, but, like, the first person who gave me a career opportunity was trying to fuck me, and, like, it ended poorly. And, like, it feels like kind mm-hmm. of a story that, like, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people are familiar with of, like, imposter syndrome of, like, am I even good at this if mm-hmm. the person who gave me the opportunity was trying to sexually exploit me? Yeah. Like, which you know isn't exactly magical michael's journey but i understand like why they would sort of connect on feeling exploited and Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. also he like seems to want like he notices her he wants to make her happy but the character just like was pretty underwritten and then on top of that like i don't know the things i appreciated about her was that the movie went out of its way to make her canonically by in a way that wasn't mocking Mm -hmm. or like challenged by the fact that she seemed interested in 
Magical Michael. Yeah. He didn't have an issue with it. Like it wasn't even talked about really mm-hmm. other than her just stating it, which is rare. Yeah. Felt normalized. Yeah. Yeah. But I just felt like the character was just like, why is she here? Like in a way that really is a bummer in a movie with so few women. I just didn't like she didn't seem to have much narrative impact. And it just felt like she was added in in a not the original draft. I also was confused by an aspect of her character where at one point, I think when they first meet her and Mike, she says that she's trying to avoid ending up on the pole. And I didn't know if that meant that she had been a stripper and she's trying to avoid returning Mm. to it Mm. because that's how I initially interpreted it. But then I was like, I think maybe, I think maybe she means that she wants to avoid becoming a stripper as if that was something that like if her photography doesn't work out it would be something that she would have to quote unquote resort to yeah i was like that's like a weird thing to say to a stripper and in this movie specifically it felt like one of those comments that people who have unconscious biases it just bubbles out of them kind of like when someone's like Mm -hmm. i don't hate gay people but you know and then they say something homophobic like it felt kind of like of the same vein where it's like it's like that's cool that you do it but like I don't want to do it. But just like keep it behind closed doors or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I just, I, but again, it's like that. I didn't even pick up on that line to be honest, but like it just, everything she says and does feels so, was this supposed to be here? That's how I felt (laughs) in the very first scene they talked. I like literally even put in my notes. I was like, it felt like bad improv. Like it felt like they didn't know what to do. (laughs) Like I was like, was it scripted? Like I felt like, like she came up to him and the notes were like, talk about his dick and he's peeing and then they didn't know what to do after that and they just like (laughs) had weird banter yeah and then it like didn't come up in the next scene everything that had been like that's why i was like was this character added after shooting like i couldn't find any information about it and it probably wasn't but like it just felt like you know like magic mike in the next scene talks with ken about other stuff that they've established in the previous scene but she doesn't come up and i feel like normally in a scene like that a character like Ken would be like, so what was up with that girl last night? But like, she just doesn't come up. It's like she wasn't there. Because they have this weird way of like asking each other if they've had sex the night before. Yes! And it's so corny, but they're like... What did they say? It made me... They're like, did you bangy? Yeah, did you bangy? Bangy. Who has said Not did you bang? Is that a Florida thing? I don't know. Did you bangy? And I'm like, what? Are you babies? Like, what are you saying? It's like they're all 12. Not that I would put it past heterosexual men to like say shit like that, mm-hmm. but not in my presence. This movie is for me. Like, I don't want to watch <laughs> yeah. this. I, I I, will say that I was so, and I'm curious how this kind of bears out with Magic Mike 3, because I hope that between 2015 and now, there has been, I think, you know, not a satisfactory, but significant cultural shift. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when this movie came mm-hmm. out, the audience for Weekend One was 96% identifying as women. Yeah. And I'm wondering how that kind of bears out for Magic Mike 3. I feel like have like men caught on to the fact that they're just fucking awesome movies? Yeah, that they're fun. <laughs> they're fucking fun. What do you hate? Fun? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, I I just, and then also on top of that, and this is like no reflection on the actor because it's like, it's not her fault, but like Mm -hmm. the fact that for both movies, it just seemed like a very sequely thing of like, oh yeah, he dated a uh, hot 
thin white woman in the first movie, so we just need to find a different hot, <laughs> thin <laughs> white lady for him to date in the second movie. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, no, you don't. And also, I wouldn't have been bothered if, I don't know, it's, it's always bizarre when we come up on movies like this where I'm like, I just... I wouldn't have minded if that woman wasn't in the story because it's just like she wasn't effectively fit in. She would show up at random points. I don't think she really factors into Mike's development as a character very much. And all it really seems like for her development is like she was kind of, and this was like a a note we had about Magical Michael's original girlfriend, Brooke, Mm -hmm. was that she's so uptight. She can't feel pleasure. And like Mm -hmm. in an even lazier way, because she's barely in the movie, that's how Zoe's character is made to seem of like all the other women in the scene are really engaged and they want to like not only get horny, but like talk about their feelings and as do the men. And like, it's a very kind of like, wow, this is cool. But Zoe's like, I'm eating cake in the kitchen. (laughs) I'm not like the other girls. Mm -hmm. I'm not horny. And it's just like, what are you trying to tell me with this character? Why is she always in the other room? Yeah. Like, can she ever be in the room? It's really no. bizarre to me <laughs> the way she's written. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we have we have other women to talk about that have way more narrative. Yes. <laughs> Rome. Rome. Can we talk about Rome? Yes. I love that she's a successful business owner. Mm-hmm. Most of her customers, it seems, are black women. Mm-hmm. It seems as though Rome's like mission statement for her business is that she wants to create a space where black women can enjoy themselves where they can feel valued and appreciated and beautiful she like makes a point to like go around to different women at this like horny mansion and be like and like you're all queens (laughs) i have so many questions about the horny mansion like and and that said, like listeners, if you know that these horny mansions exist and if they're safe, like please let us know. <laughs> drop the links. I want to know. <laughs> Seriously. To the horny mansion. Yeah. Um but yeah, she just like she wants to again just like create this safe space. And it seems like a safe space for both the performers and the clientele. And she seems to just mm-hmm. like be curating this like great space again specifically for black women yeah because black women are so historically undervalued and underappreciated that she's like i and this never gets explicitly stated in the movie but that was my read on it but also romantically discriminated you know like this is a safe Mm -hmm. space for black women Mm -hmm. to express their desires and to be desired Mm -hmm. in a way that like in the other club circles, I feel like it is more about like with the white dancers and the white male entertainers, you know, it's about them being Mm -hmm. like, look at me and all my sexiness and I know you want this. Whereas like Mm -hmm. in um, Rome's club, you know, it's focused more from an honest place of her pleasure. Like it's like, this is about Mm -hmm. her desire and what does she want? How can we make her feel special? Like this is about you and not about how sexy I am. It's about how do I turn you on? And there's so many rooms. There's so many rooms that get turned on. Uh, um, and I think especially like I, listeners, I make a lot of comments right now about black and brown women. I am an Afro-Latina. I am a black and brown woman. But all that to say, I feel like it was very beautiful to see like especially dark-skinned black men be interested and desiring these you know or making these black women feel desired because so many times oftentimes Mm -hmm. like that is so not the case so Mm -hmm. i thought that was really lovely that was Mm -hmm. like 
you know, a space where these women can find what they're looking for because their communities refuse to acknowledge them. So for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and it felt like those themes and like that was introduced in a very, in a way that was very organic to the story too. Yeah. In a way that I feel like sometimes Caitlin, I forget what movie we were talking about this recently where it feels like a lot of times between movies and franchises, there's like a very needed demand for like, why was there no diversity in this movie? Why was there no like diversity of race or class or body type or anything? Mm-hmm. And then the way that the sequels try to address it are very like, fine, here you go. Like exactly. in a way yeah. that's very careless and like worse than if they had done nothing. Um, yeah. So again, it's like the bar is absolutely on the floor. I'm not even congratulating the Magic Mike team for having done this, but it's like there was a glaring lack of diversity in the first movie it was something that we talked about especially for being in florida like it's like right yeah right and and so it's like the movie you know like i it felt like the higher up creatives like did hear that criticism and tried to make the movie more equitable and diverse in a way that also felt very like in step with what the story was and not in a way that was like fine there you go like Mm -hmm. because i feel like viewers can you can feel when that's happening for sure i agree especially with the club being in georgia like i felt like that was like very organic to Mm -hmm. what it could have been and i think the only way they could have done that right was having um rome be jada pink and smith you know or like a black actress like it it definitely could not have been a man and i'm glad that they made it a madame owning this horny mansion (laughs) right (laughs) she's so fucking cool i mean and truly like Jada Pinkett Smith is just like such a potent person. She's so great. Yes. That like you forget about Matthew McConaughey. Like you just do. And yeah, you did not. I hated Matthew McConaughey in the first one. I feel like yeah. this was such a better addition. Like, because mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey was so gross. His whole character was like, I'm on cocaine, was the vibe. Like it was just like, <laughs> and it wasn't like Matthew McConaughey, like his character, like did not respect or understand what women wanted outside of a way that made him money. Yes. It just seemed like Rome, it wasn't that she didn't want their money. She absolutely did. Yeah. And judgment isn't passed on her for that. And I think rightfully so. But also it's like she knew what to do better than Dallas did. She was creating a real experience that at the core was what these women wanted versus Dallas Mm -hmm. is like, I'm a creepy, money-hungry man who owns a club, you know? Which, like, statistically, women that own clubs, like stripper clubs and things like that, have better, you know, employees because the women feel cared for and protected in a way that men simply don't do that to their workers. So, Well, a big thing that the characters were dealing with in the first movie is that Dallas was, like, exploiting their labor and, like, not paying anyone well enough. Whereas it seems like in Rome's horny mansion, she's... And again, the movie doesn't get into this with any specificity, but it seems at least that the like male performers and entertainers in her house are given like artistic freedom because some of them are doing like very horny dances. And then you have Andre who like only just like takes his shirt off and then he's just like freestyle rapping the rest of the time. Like he's not doing like traditional stripping. He's like doing his music and also like showing his abs too but like it does it reminded me of like it's like when you I, I don't know I mean I'm 
a fan of Jumbo's Clown Room in LA. And it's like, (laughs) that is a club where it is predominantly women, but not exclusively. But like, it's a club where, as far as I know, generally people who work there love working there because they're given a lot of creative freedom. And that's like part of the point. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is like a um, criticism I saw of this franchise that I don't know. I mean, I I have never done sex work. Like, I, I don't feel like my opinion here carries a lot of weight. But I just wanted to like bring it up. Of like because this movie, I do feel like there are elements of Magic Mike that are like it's kind of a fantasy movie in a yeah. lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Because in order for it to be as cathartic and amazing as it is, you have to ignore things that happen in the world. Things that yeah. happen in the world don't right. happen in the Magic Mike cinematic universe. And that's not a criticism. I'm glad that horrible things don't really happen in this world. Mm-hmm. I love that about this movie versus the first yeah, one. I was like, right. this movie was pleasant from start to finish. Like, there was no real traumas. Like, mm-hmm. it was just guys getting to know each other and solving their problem at the end of the day. Right. I love that. Right. So I, I, I came across this article that, that came out at the time that this movie came out in 2015. It's by Chloe Cooper Jones in Vice. Uh, article is called Magic Mike XXL was the most important feminist movie of 2015, which, my God, if that's true, <laughs> yeah. uh, 2015 was, was a painful brutal year. for us. <laughs> There's no women in the movie, but okay. Uh, great. Um, not no women few okay um but but she interviewed the former president of the american philosophical association a person named linda martin alcoff who had some criticisms with this movie that i thought were interesting even if i didn't totally agree with them and i just wanted to kind of bring them up she said uh dr alcoff quote there's a danger when popular culture uses feminist ideas in ways that not only misrepresent but mislead this is the case with magic mike xxl which appears to be about the gender equality of men and women in sex work so the movie makes use of this representation and then goes on to portray sex work as a choice individuals can make it does not show the real costs the constant violence regular dehumanization by clients wage theft and sexual violence that is part of so much sex work so there is a falseness to that representation unquote Hmm. i see what she's saying but i also don't think that that has a place in this franchise yes. that's not why this exists exactly yeah but it does feel worth acknowledging we're obvious like for sure sex work- that this is a fantasy like magic mike xxl especially i feel like the first one they like kind of like they it was all over the place honestly the first one but yeah. the second one like it was like the goal is fun this is a fantasy we know that this is not how the world works but that is the point of fiction that this is fiction mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other criticism I saw of this movie popping up is for all the diversity of like women feeling pleasure in this movie outside of the fact that it's still um, straight, thin women that seem to be getting precedence, mm-hmm. that there's no representation of disability, which yeah. mm-hmm. I think is fair, especially in a movie that seems to be prioritizing such a wide spectrum of pleasure that we didn't see any disabled women mm-hmm. did feel a bit glaring yes but okay what, what are the uh, what, what, can we talk a little bit more about andy mcdowell's character mm. yes let's do it i wanted to point out a few positives a few things i enjoyed you <laughs> see sexual desire in older women and like mm-hmm. horny mom energy and like they are expressing their frustrations of like 
some of them are like feeling sexually repressed and you know we we talked a little bit about this already but i was just i appreciated there being representation of like older women's sexuality um Mm -hmm. being a thing on screen yeah and that big dick richie gets with an older woman uh, or a woman older than him and they called her absolutely beautiful i think like they were like that beautiful amazing woman or whatever and they didn't call her old and they didn't say milf yeah and i appreciated that they were just like she's hot as hell good job just which again accurate (laughs) yeah i mean also literally andy (laughs) mcdowell yeah (laughs) right right and I also appreciated that you have a mom telling her daughter to like play the field and like yeah. don't stop until mm-hmm. you find like the best dick of your life where you would normally see on screen a mother like slut shaming mm-hmm. her daughter or like warning yeah. her of like the da- the quote unquote dangers of having multiple partners. Especially in the South. I was going to say, because I, I tend to associate like a southern woman in her 40s or 50s as being this kind of like pearl clutching like well i never kind of like oh my goodness and i know that that's a stereotype but i've seen it in a bunch of movies and when the only representation you see of something is a stereotype you think that that must be the truth which is what our whole show is about anyway yeah so for nancy to be like yeah my daughter should fuck a bunch of men including male strippers yeah that was pretty subversive. That was pretty cool. <laughs> I liked, and again, it like fit into the story in a very like cool and logical way. I read a few um, accounts of like younger women bringing their moms to this movie and moms feeling really like liberated by that scene because I do, Ooh. I think it was in that same Vice article where um, the writer whose name is Chloe Cooper Jones was describing seeing this movie with her mom and her mom like kind of tensing up when the Andy McDowell scene started because women are so conditioned to seeing like any woman over a certain age treated as a joke if they're experiencing any sexual desire Mm -hmm. and then like really loving that scene because I don't know they're just like treated like people that are horny which makes sense and I loved the scene with like it just felt very like true to that character where she was like really horny, but also like, Ooh, what's going on? Where, um, Andy McDowell's character like asked big Dick Richie, like if she could unzip him and then he was, or what did he say? He's like, <laughs> she said, can I pop the hood? Pop yeah. the hood or something? <laughs> Objectifying men. That's not nice. <laughs> but it like that scene fucking ruled. I just like, mm-hmm. it was really, it was really nice. I like that the movie wanted to take all of these, like, I don't know. Cause it's like, road trip movies are so episodic like this yeah but this felt like really intentionally episodic of like here's a woman you don't normally see in a movie like this experiencing pleasure and having a nice time isn't that great all right they're gone <laughs> and that's kind of like <laughs> yeah that was great yeah cool another kind of episodic thing that happens a little stop they make on the trip is the drag show scene oh yeah the very which beginning. i was uh, the first stop yeah yeah, I had some questions. So you have this scene taking place at a nightclub called Mad Mary's. The drag queen character, Tori Snatch, played by Vicky Vox, is like hosting this show. 
and then says something like, all right, now all of you amateur queens get up here and strut your stuff and I'll give you $400 to the winner. Yeah. No one who gets on stage is in drag. Not in drag. Include, Cause like you understand why like Magic Mike and his friends are not in drag. But yeah. the first few people who right. get on stage were clearly people who were there to participate in this drag competition. And for some reason they're not in drag. And then you have these, it seems as though mostly straight guys going on stage, kind of inserting themselves into this like queer space, into this Mm -hmm. like queer competition. I would say not doing a very good job and then somehow still winning. Yeah, Fluffy was half-assing it big time. (laughs) And yet, nevertheless, he persisted. (laughs) (laughs) So I found that confusing and it just felt like a scene that was written by straight men oh for sure it's yeah, like, like men who had never been to a drag show like they yeah. they had no idea they were like oh well fluffy like is wearing the um what's her face costume uh from the carmen, the bananas, carmen the yeah so he's wearing the costume but that's not a drag costume that is like a a normal costume and it's also vaguely racialized because like that is a like Argentinian banana. I think they're from Argentina, those bananas. Um, so, you know, it's just like, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was like the closest they could think. They're like, well, we can't actually put them in drag because like that's too gay. And these are straight men. And we have to remember mm-hmm. that they, they dress up, but they're not gay. They're performing masculinity for women. It has to be hetero. Which is something that I'm curious about. Like, will the third movie dare to not have a single moment that feels a little no homo in a way that I think that like again this movie improves upon the first in that regard yeah but there are still little moments where you're just like why why although there's one crumb that I maybe would give the movie give me give me that crumb it's when I think they've checked into the convention so they're like staying in the hotel in Myrtle Beach and Magic Mike and Tito get into the one bed that's in the room, get into the bed together. Mm-hmm. And there's no like gay panic moment. There's no like, what? We have to share a bed. They just get into the bed together and start talking about frozen yogurt. It was nice. That is true. And oh, I was I, like, yeah. wow. It's a crumb. <laughs> that, it's a crumb. But I was like, huh? But honestly, like most movies would be like, now let's go. Like, let's go wild on this moment. Mm-hmm. And I guess the crumb is that they, like, don't make fun of the drag queens or, like, you know, going to a gay bar. Like, they were, like, they apparently go every year. Yeah, they, like, say that they go every time that they go to this competition. So, another a smidgen crumb. Another <laughs> tiny little crumb. Which, like, yeah. It's like, And it makes sense. Like, it's like they have a lot in common. They work in similar settings. Like, cool. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that everyone would get along here and the movie doesn't, like try to do anything weird about it right and which just goes to show how low the bar is yeah right because you do, you're always like is something fucked up about to happen because i don't trust these men but this i mean this franchise will will generally go with not even just like a more realistic choice but like the path of least resistance narratively yeah. like it makes more sense that this group of men would be friends than not yeah so yeah true um, is there anything else we want to talk about? 
No, but I do want to mention that the Twilight stripper moment killed me, and I always yes. felt like that was very of the era. As someone who used to be a Twihart, I oh. I loved what it. What team? I okay. I bounced back and forth, but I think ultimately I was Team Edward. Oh, that's the wrong Stop answer. Unfortunately, her. it's all about Team Jacob. No, but also like they're bo- the the right answer is neither team. team. Nobody. Yeah, <laughs> team nobody. Honestly, Not even true. Team Bella. Like team. Yeah. Why am I reading this? Like all three of them are kind of diabolical, and um, yeah, I was yeah I was Team Jacob back in the day, and which you would catch a lot of shit for that. It was brutal. <laughs> um, but also well, all all three teams. Everyone's wrong. Everyone's Everyone was so wrong. Magic Mike XXL seems to understand that. Yeah. <laughs> it does seem to understand that because they made fun of them. They were like, the fucking vampire act is warning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, the last thing I wanted to say, because I didn't realize, like, the, the two, I think the two most successful erotic movies of 2015 were Magic Mike XXL and the final Fifty Shades of Grey movie. And so mm-hmm. if we're putting ourselves in that headspace, it made me appreciate Magic Mike XXL a lot more because you think of how, you know, they are both technically focused on women's, women's pleasure, pleasure, but if you watch a Fifty Shades of Grey movie, it's like, oh, this domineering guy who doesn't respect boundaries and is, and like, ruining your life. life. Like, hates her. <laughs> like, you're just like, well, I guess, honestly, Magic Mike XXL was in that media landscape. A miracle? <laughs> Which is so yeah. depressing. Yeah. But, yeah. That was that was my that was my final thought mm-hmm. on it. Uh, but does it pass the Bechtel test, folks? Ooh, you know what? I don't think it does. Or... I don't know if it's two lines of dialogue, but in theory, you got Paris and Rome chatting mm-hmm. about their love for one another. Yes. But it is narrowly like in the vein of male entertainment. So right. I feel like that context. would have been the only time that it would have passed. Right. Because all the horny yeah. moms are, they aren't really talking amongst themselves. They're mostly talking to the men i do think it passed but it wasn't like as thorough a pass as you would like i think there were like individual because the movie does seem to go out of its way to give every woman a name yeah in a way that almost felt glaring to me at some point it's where it'd be like these are my friends blah 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 and blah and i'm like is this <laughs> to pass the special test like what because by 2015 it was a popular discussion of like what yeah. was versus what wasn't mm-hmm. and I do think that there were a few offhand exchanges in the Andy McDowell sequence that would have passed. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that the Rome and Paris, like, again, contextually, ultimately, I guess Rome's goal is to get Magical Michael into the room. But also she's trying to get herself into the room. I think there's a little yeah. bit of wiggle room there. Mm-hmm. It's not a hard pass. You never see yeah. Megan and uh, I can't even remember Amber Heard's name in the movie. Uh, Zoe, you never yeah. see them in a room together. They're like supposed to be friends. Yeah, she's staying don't... at Megan's house and they, they never talk. talk. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like because Zoe just seems so out of place, out of time, out of movie in this movie <laughs> yeah. where it's like we keep being told she and Megan are friends, but it seems like she disagrees with Megan on everything and like yeah. they never speak. So I do think like in a movie like this, while it is very valuable to have a movie that is focused on, I think, coded heterosexual men coming to terms with themselves and each other in an emotionally intelligent way mm-hmm. is a is a good mission. There's not a lot of movies that do that well. This movie does it pretty well. But it's like there was room for more women. It seems like, based on the trailer that I've watched 5,000 times for the new Magical Michael, 
that women are uh, there there are at least two there's like a mother daughter mm-hmm. dynamic in the third movie is rosalia supposed to be salma hayek's daughter i think that they say that in the trailer oh, i'm pretty sure i'll watch it after this but yeah. i don't know maybe i maybe but I'm pretty sure that, yeah, they're supposed to be playing mother-daughter mm. and, like... That's the impression I got, also. Channing Tatum knows her daughter and then yeah. meets her mother and is like... Pfft, and that's, like, Fireworks. the movie. Awooga! Yeah. Awooga. Uh-huh. Yeah, big time awooga. <laughs> and I'm like, who is he dating? And then I'm like, well, maybe he's not dating anyone in this one. And maybe that, and maybe he's been liberated from the need to be <laughs> in love with a boring character. But I like that they didn't end up, like, truly at the end together. Like, it's like, yes, he danced on her, but I think, obviously, he's like, this is also my job, like, and I want to have fun, and I think this is funny. That's a good but point. But I like that they didn't, like, kiss. Like, they didn't, yeah. like, it wasn't clear that they're, like, ending up together. It was more like, like he had mentioned throughout the whole movie, it was like, come have fun. Like, like you're young. Like, you're young once. Mm-hmm. Your friends want to go. Like, just have fun with a bunch of strippers. We're friends now. They mentioned, like, we're friends now. Mm-hmm. So I do like that, even though, obviously, it's, like, geared that he, she is, like, the romantic interest of his. I like that it wasn't actually very romantic and that they didn't kiss. It just they seems didn't. like their lives mm-hmm. intersect for a few days, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, it's like Which, kismet. I love stories like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I I agree with you, Becca, that it didn't seem like the movie was like, you'll be seeing this character again. Like, yeah. And that's fine. Like, yeah. whatever. You know? I, I Yeah. I Magical Michael, you know, he's still hurting. He's still hurting from... He had a heal from his engagement, you know? He wasn't ready to take that on. True. He said he lit a candle and everything. He was really talking. He was like, I lit a candle and everything. She said, no. He was like, all right. <laughs> I had bacon. I don't understand why she I said no I had bacon. I had epic random bacon. She still said freaking no. I will never understand. <laughs> and you're like, well, whatever. Magic Mike, mm-hmm. you still got to grow up. Like, there must have been some other problems. Yeah. <laughs> she also sucked. So it's like, well, Yeah, she did you know. suck. Yeah. yeah. She wanted him to quit stripping. Not cool. Yeah, she was she was a bit of a like a traditionalist in a way that I don't think suited the beauty that is magical Michael. His lifestyle, exactly. But maybe he's gonna fall in love with Salma Hayek. I think that that's what's Ooh, gonna happen. We'll see. But I do want that though. That yeah. to me is sexy. Yeah, they can do that yeah. for two hours, and I will watch it. <laughs> I'll be happy. Same same writer. So the third one, Steven Soderbergh is back directing. I thought it was interesting. So, and I like like Steven Soderbergh. I think he's a really cool artist where like he seems like kind of unpretentious in the way he does stuff where he directed the first movie and then for the second movie his cinematographer from the first movie and him switched places so in this mm. movie the cinematographer is directing steven soderbergh's doing the cinematography and editing and they just mm. kind of like switched things up in a way that i thought was like visually cool and then in the final one or i mean i guess we're to believe perhaps could be more. the final one <laughs> But like, you know, would I be mad? No. But in the final, <laughs> Steven Soderbergh is directing again. Yeah. Which I do think fits with the tone of the trailer. Now that you've mentioned that, because the trailer to me is giving like step up one. Yes. But like yes. sexy. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's giving the same type of drama. Like it's going to be more drama this time than it is comedy. So. It does feel very like I, I haven't seen any of the Tom Holland Spider-Mans, I'll be honest. But I, I do like, you know, this character, you know, in love is in London, question mark. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like what is happening in the third Magic Mike. I can't wait to see it. I will see it opening weekend. I will mm-hmm. laugh, cry, pee myself, like get very Same. horny. That's why I'm there. That's why we're yeah. there. That's why we go to the movies. 
comes. The movie feels. We come to this place. <laughs> we come to this for place. magic. We come to this place to laugh, to cry, to care. Um, how about that nipple scale of ours, where we rate the movie from zero to five nipples based on looking at the movie through an intersectional feminist lens? I'm gonna give this movie. This might be wild, but I'm gonna give it three point five because the two kind of like main thrusts of the movie that's my new favorite way to describe we have been saying that shit we need to stop we have to knock it off uh, not it's for me really the thru- it's, it's triggering my fight or flight response <laughs> when we say that out loud okay fine the two okay. main themes of the movie are male friendship that is like healthy and productive or at least trying to be and they're doing it in a very like the way hetero men are conditioned to behave when it comes to like emotional vulnerability but they are like talking through their problems they're expressing vulnerabilities they are saying that they love each other and yes they're doing it while they're rolling on molly and And so are them expressing their love does lead to a car crash um but generally it seems like the movie is very much in favor of this male friendship and i really appreciate that Mm -hmm. and i also appreciate the focus on and this is mostly through the Rome character, but her mission being like cultivating a space where women can like experience joy and and pleasure and to feel valued and to feel attractive and, you know, all these things that are good. (laughs) So I'm going to give the movie three and a half nipples. I will give one to Jada. I will give... Uh, one to Elizabeth Banks, the director of Cocaine Bear. Uh, I will give <laughs> one to the scene where Magic Mike dances to Pony by Genuine and has sex with his workbench. And I'll give my half nipple. And I'll give my half nipple to Tito because he deserved more characterization. I'm going to go three and a half as well. I think that the Zoe character was kind of the biggest miss for me in terms of a woman where it felt like she was a character who was added as a girlfriend kind of half-heartedly. We didn't get to know very much about her. Um, I do appreciate, like you were just saying, Becca, that like it wasn't forced on us as like, and now she's the great love of his life because it just like wouldn't have worked at all. But it just, I, you know, for someone who is pretty high build in the movie, she could be removed from the movie and nothing would change. Um, She didn't really factor into Magical Michael's growth at all. Mm -hmm. However, Rome is a great character. I really liked her. I like that they reset everything at the beginning of every Magic Mike movie, but I'm like kind of bummed that we won't get to see more of her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it feels like that character, like she just like... I would see a spin-off movie only about her. Yeah. Same. And her horny mansion. And her, her horny, horny mansion. mansion. Like, how do you... I would love the prequel. Like, her life yes. with <gasps> Magical Michael before right. he went to Dallas. Because those two have chemistry. It was like, wow, when he kissed her hand, it was like begging for her forgiveness. I was like, wow, wow, wow. Mm. This is I great. I was like, why isn't it me? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Like, it was, yeah. Like, I thought she was a great character. I feel like she, you know, I would love to see her again down the line. But in this movie, she is wonderful. But I think for me, she and the Andy McDowell characters were the best written, most narratively impactful women in the story, which is kind of cool because, you know, they are like women over 40 and you don't usually see in kind of a sexy movie, um, older women taking narrative precedence over younger women. Mm -hmm. I think there was room for everybody though. But I love this movie. I love it's like focus on 
um, straight men getting their shit together. I love how it celebrates sex work and doesn't shame it in the way that I think the first movie tacitly did towards the end. I think this movie kind of course corrects that issue from the first movie. Um, there is more diversity. I know that some of it is sort of like, or much of it is very surface level and flawed. And we, it is still a white character centric movie in a way that I really hope the third movie course corrects on justice for Adam, but it's a hell of a romp. It's a hell of a horny movie. I really enjoy it. And I also do like, it is kind of nice to come at a franchise like this with general optimism where I feel like with future movies in most franchises, I'm like, there's no way they're going to do any better. And I just need to manage my expectations. But for a two movie franchise, I feel like they made significant strides between one and two. I am excited to see three. I hope it is really awesome. Mm -hmm. And at least I hope I get fucking horny and a room full of my peers that's what I want um so I will give it three and a half I'm going to give all of my nipples to twitch because I love twitch and I was very sad I I honestly like I learned when twitch passed because it was like last month yeah and Mm -hmm. I was really sad and then I didn't I wasn't expecting to see him in this movie and then I was crying uh yeah same just uh you know if you haven't seen twitch dancing and I mean at any point but like in his so you think you can dance prime just a beautiful wonderful spirit and person and I'm very sad he's gone so all my nipples are going to twitch nice Becca how about you Oh my gosh, my time to give away nipples. Okay, I'm also going to go with three and a half. (laughs) I was leaning more for three, but then after our discussion, I landed on three and a half. Mm -hmm. But I will say I really love the arc of this movie from the first to the second after watching them back to back. I think there was so much more joy in this movie, and it was just such a fun, lighthearted watch. Obviously, we dug into it. There's a lot to be said but I think generally for the context of the movie and the content and for the timing it came out I think it is such a joy that it it, you know for the most part withheld with time which is you know rare for I think movies within even the past five years um Mm -hmm. I will say I do wish it was hornier in the sense that I did not see enough nakedness for it being a rated r movie it really felt like a pg-13 movie I was shocked when I googled that it was rated r still Mm, wow and I felt like the most sex we got was in the last 10 minutes and that just wasn't enough for me Mm -hmm. um but (laughs) otherwise yeah I agree with both what everything you said I don't have much besides those two notes to add on to that um and yeah I'm gonna give my nipples to one to Childish Cambino for my 2015 heart could not stand uh love uh one to Channing Tatum because I've been horny for him since Step Up and then one to Adam Rodriguez because I love that man uh Delco forever and then my half nipple to Twitch rest in peace oh my goodness well, Becca. Becca, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Truly, long time coming. I'm so glad we did it. Oh, me too. This was so much fun. It's like truly a dream come true. I'm like, I listen every week and now I'm on it. Oh my God, I feel honored. So thank you for having me. This Becca so is literally wearing a <laughs> Bechtel cast shirt right now. It looks great. So, uh, come back. 
Say less, I will be here. <laughs> yes. Okay, amazing. And speaking of those shirts, you can get them at tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast. Uh, all of our merch is designed by Jamie, and we've got some some recent designs, such as Shrekian and feminist icon Paddington and the Flubber Mambo by Danny Elfman. Hard to say how that design's doing. That may have been just for me, but I am enjoying <laughs> it. Um, I bet a few people bought it. If you have, please let us know, because I've been seeing a lot of the other two designs and really kind of radio <laughs> silence on the Flubber Mambo by Dan- Danny Elfman. Oh, justice. Let's work on that, folks. Yeah, let's get seriously. the Let's get the good word out there. Um, <laughs> you can also follow us on social media. We're at Bechtelcast on Instagram and Twitter for all of the updates that you could possibly want in the world. You can follow our Patreon, aka Matreon. That's at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast. $5 a month will get you two additional episodes, loose, fun, Caitlin, Jamie, wildness, Awuga. as well as access to, <laughs> there's, it, there is actually like pretty thorough Awuga energy <laughs> over on the Matreon and you'll get access to over a hundred, I think close to 150 back catalog episodes there as well. Oh, yeah. Over five years. All right. Goodness gracious. We're getting crusty over here. <laughs> yeah. And um, with that, shall we all get on the Froyo truck and head to Myrtle Beach? Absolutely. As long as it has a bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Okay, bye. 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 Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Kohler at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.